It is a great honour for me this morning to be introducing uh, Pastor Danny Guglamucci, uh, who's with us today. He was our pastor when we were in Adelaide, and very much the pattern of church that, that we have recreated and the style of ministry has come from four years in Pastor Danny's church and learning and watching uh, how to do the ministry. So I uh, just want to honour him for that pattern that we were able to see and reproduce here. So uh, he's a humble man, a great man of God, has incredible wisdom and uh, just want us to put our hands together as we welcome Pastor Danny today. Well, good morning, everybody. Please be seated. Can't tell you how much fun it is to be back. I think it's been about 13 years, something like that. I used to have hair then, remember? Hair then and gone tomorrow, but uh, it's uh, the years go by. I remember the first time my wife and I and the band, we were in Court Emanuel, came here. Uh, I was about 30. I'm 66 now. So all those years. You know, success is a long obedience in the right direction. you just got to do the right thing long enough. I used to say when I passed at Edge, it might sound a little offensive, but I used to say I'm one decision away from becoming a total idiot. Just one decision. And the fact of the matter is I don't want to start well and finish bad. I want my race to finish strong. And at 66 years of age, uh, I can say it works. Because when I was 30, I was preaching, believing it would work. But now at 66, I can say, I can look back and say it works. When I handed Edge Church over 10 years ago now, just before I handed it over, I went back to Isaiah 58, where God had given me 10 promises. He says, if you do this, if you do that, this is what I'll do. And at the end of 10 years, I was able to tick every one of those promises off when I handed the church over. God is faithful. But you know, you do get a little weary along the way with age. I'm 66. The, little old lady I help across the street now is my wife and I'm thinking what happened there I uh, wake up next to a grandma every morning and I think what happened there you know but probably one of the funniest things was we bought some new beds and um, you know we have those ones that sit up you know because the doctor told me I needed to have this kind of bed so the two beds together but they sit up and one night I came in and we'd only had the beds about a couple of days and I came in and I got the remote control and I'm pressing the button, I'm pressing the button to set my bed up so I can sit in bed and read and it's not working. And I'm going, why isn't this silly thing working? And then I looked across and my wife was sitting up like that. <laughs> I had her remote control. And you know what? In life, if you press the wrong buttons, you're not going to get the right result. And there's a lot of people today that are churchians. They go to church. But there's a difference between being a churchian and being a Christian. I'm going to share some things a little different from the first service today. I want to share as much as I can to be an encouragement to you. It was about five years ago, God put in my heart, He said, stop preaching and start reaching. Sometimes we can get caught up in the art of the preach. And at my age, I'm not interested in the art of the preach. I'm interested in the heart of the reach. Because it's the truths. One truth today can go into your heart and transform your life forever. And I've had many of those moments in my life. You know, moments have to m turn into movement before they become momentum. And I want to say this morning, as a Pentecostal Christian, sometimes I've lived for the moments, but I haven't turned them into movement. And then they don't become momentum. You see, Moses 
was doing his every day in obedience before there was a suddenly and a one day. It's one thing to say, God, move on my life and empower my life, but how am I doing my every day? Because if God's not in my every day, then I might not have my one day and my suddenly. But I thank God for the one days, one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. And then there's a suddenly. And then there's a moment that takes you into multiplication and moves you forward. But boy, the last seven years for me have been very challenging in my everyday. It was seven years ago today, 22nd of January, that our eldest son got killed. This morning I woke up, I couldn't stop crying. You see, you can cry as you go. You can cry as you walk. You don't have to give up in the midst of your tears. And I was able to text my family and contact my kids and my grandkids. And the most moving thing right now for me is they're doing their everyday walking with Jesus. So today is a one day, it's a suddenly, it's a seven years ago, it was a terrible suddenly. Sitting home preparing a message to preach at Victor Harbour for all the combined churches. Felt I had a word in my heart. And two o'clock that afternoon, in the midst of my preparing, I get a phone call. And I knew with that phone call that my son had died. How do you live with that? How do you journey that? To get in your car and to drive up to Mount Barker with two of his kids in the back seat. Is daddy okay? And I knew he'd gone. How are we going to navigate these kids? How are they going to go believing in God when their dad was taken so suddenly at a a Christian youth camp? You see, if you don't know how to do your everyday, you may lose your suddenlies and your one days. And I thank God in the last seven years there's been one days and suddenlies that have totally blown me away. And yet in my everyday, I've walked with a limp. Our eldest grandson is 21, and I'll just share a bit like I shared in the first service, but then I want to move on, but our eldest grandson's 21 now, and he's serving Jesus. He could have walked away and go, stick it. Where's God? Where was God when my dad was taken? And, you know, the blame game is ruining our world right now. There is a blame game out there that's ruining our world. And to see this little boy when he was 14, and I... I, I, I want to share it and I don't want to share it because it grips my heart every time. But I remember straight after his dad's funeral, he asked the questions and then one day wrote this poem to his dad in heaven. Today he's 21. He was 14 when he wrote this and today they're in Adelaide, they're just going to sit on the beach with mum and the other kids and celebrate their dad's life. Everyone who's looking at this post, he actually posted this. Right now, I want to ask you a favor. Please cherish your fathers, not just today, but every day. Don't take them for granted. Cherish every moment you spend with him. Make jokes, build Lego, read stories, watch movies, do whatever you like to do with your dad, because he won't always be there. I only had my dad for 14 years. He passed away before he turned 40, and I wanted to spend more time with him. I wish I'd treasured him more. I wish he didn't go. I've written a poem for him and I'm sending it up to heaven for him to read. It's called My Father and it's about having a conversation with my dad about him leaving us and going to heaven 
and I'd like to read it to you. Please, my father, I beg you to stay. Don't worry, Zeke, we'll meet again someday. Help me, father, I'm so upset you were someone I'll never forget. Come, my father, we need you here. Don't worry, Zeke, I'm always near. Hey, my father, why'd you go? God has his reasons, you'll never know. Dear my father, you're forever in my heart. From this day forward, we will never drift apart. Goodbye, my father, you were my own. It's okay, Zeke, daddy's home. 14. But a lot can happen between 14 and 21. And today, he's at Pastor David Hall's church on staff, serving Jesus, not with blind loyalty, but with biblical loyalty. None of us are called to give blind loyalty to anything. But boy, we need to give biblical loyalty to everything. And I'm so grateful as a grandfather today as I see kids that could have turned to drugs. My 11-year-old, he was 11-year-old, his brother, younger brother who's just turned 16. When he was 11, he would come up to me and he would hug me and he'd go, don't cry, Nono, heaven is our home. Don't cry, Nono, heaven is our home. And then one day his mum sent me this text. Mum and I were in the car, 11 years old. Mum and I were in the car talking about having your own story that you hold on to when times are tough. When things are going bad and you question, is God real? You need to have your own God revelation. I realised God was saying to me all week, Jeremiah 29.9. I didn't know it was God speaking because everyone says Jeremiah 29.11. So I asked mum to read her Bible on her phone and then I read it. God, you have given me the scripture, Jeremiah 29 9, that says they are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. When I was at Keith Cott Primary School, kids used to say to me that the church was playing with my mind and that God never existed and he couldn't be real. They also said that I was being delusional. God's given me the scripture so I don't have to doubt. I know that he's real and I only need to listen to his voice. He was 10 years old, actually, not 11, when he wrote that. When there's a world out there that kids are suicidal at the age of 11, just recently I got to do a youth camp. Could you believe 66-year-old Danny doing a youth camp in the Adelaide Hills for Hills Baptist? There was probably 80 teenagers there. And as I'm praying with these kids, we changed the altar call pattern. We said, you know, we're not going to ask you to come to an altar call only and just receive. We want you to bring your journals. We gave every one of those teenagers a journal and said, when you come to the altar, bring your journal and a pen. And after you've heard the preaching of God's word, get on your knees and write what God has told you. At the end of the camp, I asked the kids to read out what they'd read, written in their journal. One after another, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, from broken homes, from parents that are not believers, making their vows to God. God, with you in my life, I want to do my whole life with you. I I want to follow you. And I'm watching these kids with tears running down their face. A new generation of kids that are not just going to be churchians, but they're going to be Christians. 
There's a difference between being a churchian and a Christian. A churchian is a churchgoer. A Christian is a Christ follower. Churchians are easily offended. We used to sing a song. Oh, for Jesus, I am offended. Do you know God allows offense until we don't get offended anymore? And then we've grown. And all my life, when my son died, people said, oh, that's the judgment of God, someone said. Because of what my other son had done in his brokenness. Some of the stuff that came out of people's mouths and I wanted to react. And I realized this was an opportunity not to react, but to respond. And not just be a churchian, but be a Christian. So that when I'm offended, I allow him to extend me. Not offended, extended. That's how I want to live my life. And so God began to take me on a journey through the loss of my son, but back to the camp. These kids are just giving their lives to Christ with no church background and speaking a sermon wasn't going to cut it. I had to share with these kids what really works, what really has worked in my life since the age I was 11 when I gave my life to Christ. And I, I shared with them the journey of faith. What does the journey of faith look like? Seven stages to the journey of faith, which I won't talk about today. And these kids are taking notes and then about six weeks ago I get a phone call. Oh, Pastor Danny, we want you to come back to the youth group because the kids want to ask questions about the journey of faith. They've got some more questions they want to ask. The night before, most of them got baptized. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that we're getting back to Christianity and not just churchianity. And I believe we're moving into a new era prophetically where we're going to see many that used to walk with Jesus come home. We're going to see the return of the prodigals. You know, when the prodigal son left home, he said, give me. When people leave with disappointment, they go, I didn't get what I wanted. Give me. But the prodigal son, when he found out that he needed to go home to dad, he said, make me. He went from give me what I want to make me one of your servants. And I prophesied this morning, there's a day coming where there's a make me moment where God's going to call people home that walked away from Jesus because of disappointment. They walked away from church because of pain. And I want to tell you, friends, God's going to bring many, many home. There's going to be a coming back of the broken and the Holy Spirit. I was in hospital having treatment and as I came out of anesthetic and I was, uh, I was in intensive care, I called one of the nurses over as I was coming out of my, uh, you know, being knocked out and I said, can you get my phone? I need to write something on my phone. And she goes, you can't, you can't, you're too sick, you can't do it, tubes everywhere. I'd had a bone marrow uh, tap and trying to find where my blood was, uh, where I was losing blood and I was very, very ill. And so I got my phone out, and this is what the Holy Spirit dropped into my spirit that's become a real why behind my what. He says, I don't have grace for carnality, but I have grace for broken humanity. And I wrote that because, you see, the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God's grace lives in the place of humility when we're surrendered. And what's about to happen in the church is not that the good people are going to be in church and the bad people are outside the church, but what's about to happen is an honest church with authenticity is rising up and go, we're all broken. But I'm open with my broken. And as I'm open with my broken, God can bring help to my life. And I want to tell you, I want the church to be filled with broken people. 
And we're not there to give them behavior modification. We're there to give them a message of hope, truth and love that can take them on a journey of a direction of healing, not perfection of healing. This is not about perfection. It's about direction. We're going on a journey of God transforming us. And I believe that kind of authentic church is God, God is preparing right now so that we can see, and I'm prophesying right now, that the future even of this church is not good people in here and the bad people out there, but one day the doors will be so open for people out there that are broken go, I know where I need to go. I know where I need to run. And I'm grateful for my two grandsons and my granddaughter who's about to turn 19, who's just written, if you go on, I'm advertising now, um, she's written a book called Waves, it's on Amazon, and, and that book is all the poems that she's written about losing her dad. You see, we can take our tears and make them a river of refreshing for other people. When my son died, God said, don't waste your pain. Bless people with your pain. I had no idea that I'd pray for over 2,000 people that had lost their children. Had no idea that God would open doors in the community. I meet every Friday with six non-church business people. They are big business people in Adelaide. They don't have faith at this point or they're on a journey. And we sit there and I have to put up with their swearing, their dirty jokes and everything that goes on. And then they'll turn to me. Where was God when your son died? And I'm able to pull out the scriptures that God gave me. You know, I remember when I was kneeling by my bed one night and I, and I said, God, I don't know what to do, but I trust you. I really trust you, but it hurts and I don't know what to do. And I heard a, a voice inside my head. It wasn't audible, but it was very real. And he said, and I trust you. I knew you were going to go through this when I called you. Last week, I'm in my dad's house. There's a young couple that are moving in to live with him that are going to be missionaries in Sierra Leone. Just married six months, giving up their lives to go and be missionaries to work with trafficked young people and child soldiers. They've got no money. They've just come over here to train and they now moved in to live with my dad. My dad lives on his own. He sits there and starts telling the story of when I was born. Tears running down his face because I was born with an incurable situation where the doctor said there was no hope. And part of it was I had a growth that was growing on the outside of my body, not on the inside. And my dad's got tears running down his face and he said, our son would cry night and day, cry night and day. And one night my wife and I knelt down by his cot and said, God, we don't know what to do. He's in so much pain. The doctor said they couldn't operate until I was at least one. I was only uh, a couple of months old. And they prayed and they said, Lord, do something. We need you to do something. And the next morning when dad, my dad went to remove my clothing, the growth had gone. And he knelt down by the bed and he said, God, you can have him. And you can use him. And he's telling the story to these people and he's going, this is what happened with our only son, my mum couldn't have any more kids after that. And here I am today, and I don't say this boastfully for a man wrapped up in himself makes a small parcel, but I want to say to you today that I've had the privilege of going all over the world and seeing God's hand at work. And yet in the middle of that, you lose a son. In the middle of that, you get cancer. And it's just one thing after another. In the middle of that, before that, another son breaks down. Our son Michael, who many of you know his story, who had such a mental health issue and also a sinful behavior that he doesn't blame anybody but he's giving in to the enemy. He's not blaming anybody for what happened. 
where we had the media on our doorstep for 14 days straight, every major media outlet and lied about us all the way through. Front page of the Sunday Mail telling lies about us. And we're sitting there, how did we get here? We've obeyed God, we followed the call of God and we end up in this mess. And I don't say this as a boast, but it's taken 10 years for that boy to be restored. I had to take him to every psychiatrist I could find in Adelaide. I had to take him to psychologists. I had to take him to Christian psychologists, non-Christian psychologists. And thinking, God, where did we go wrong? What happened? You do as parents, you go, where did we go wrong? And yet in the middle of that, how can light come through that darkness? How can God shine through? And today as I stand before you, Michael's running a charity called Lighthouse City Mission in Port Adelaide, feeding 3,000 broken people a week. He said, oh, you know, Dad, God has saved me from my brokenness. How can I say thank you rather than just giving my life so that I can give my life to the broken? That's the only way I can say thank you and serve the broken. And so there's a guy called Willie, and Willie was sailing around Australia on a boat to raise money for the disabled because at the age of 11 he was abandoned by his mother, raised in Sydney by foster carers and uh, just a horrible life, became a heroin addict. But when his mum passed away she left an inheritance and he always wanted to sail and he bought a boat. He started sailing around Australia and he gets to Port Lincoln and he got shipwrecked. He hit the rocks, got shipwrecked and the project on Channel 10 decided to tell his story and they rose, raised enough money on a GoFundMe page to get him another boat. And so they got him a boat and he managed to get to South Australia. Uh, well, he was in South Australia. He managed to get to Adelaide. He gets to Adelaide, but he's so addicted to drugs, he can't sail much and just walks in off the street to Lighthouse City Mission. Today, Willie is drug-free. God has restored his life. He walks in with his dog called Mischief. And he comes in on a Friday night where we worship with all our brokenness. His dog's sitting on his lap. Tears running down his face. Michael's been taking him for his methadone treatment. And today he's totally free. He's now going through the challenge of detox. You know, the, the, the coming off methadone can be worse than, you know, the drugs itself. And I said to Willie a few weeks ago, I said, why don't you tell us your story, Willie? He grabbed the microphone, he goes, I don't know much, but I know that I've found God, and all I need to do now is sacrifice. I thought, wow, to sacrifice my life is a joy for what he's done for me. And I'm thinking, how can something so severe and so broken turn into something so beautiful? Because it's not how we start, it's not even the middle, but it's how we end. If we're not churchians, but we're Christians and we follow God with a heart that is real. And I said in the first service, uh, after Chris died in uh, 216, in 217 I was diagnosed with what they thought was bowel cancer. It wasn't a malignant tumour, but they had to remove it and there were major reactions from my body. I'm a diabetic, I couldn't heal properly. And then I just came good and in 218 got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. And I want to read to you this morning out of James 1, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. 
Do you know when you get a diagnosis like that, it doesn't care what car you drive. Doesn't matter how big your house is. Doesn't matter how cool you look or don't look or whatever. Those things don't matter. It's amazing how priorities change. All of a sudden, my faith was tested. Without arrogance, I want to say this morning, my endurance has grown and I don't need anything. But it didn't start at the end. It started when the doctors walked in to St. Andrew's Hospital. They sat with my wife and I and they said to my wife, he's probably not got long. They said to her, do you want us to turn off life support or just let him go naturally? This is in front of me and as cold as that. Took me 15, 20 minutes. I thought, how did we get here? Three weeks ago, I was preaching all through New Zealand. I did a three-week tour through New Zealand preaching on heaven, preaching on eternity. And when I landed in Adelaide, as I'm walking up the ramp, my daughter was there to meet me. She doesn't normally come to get me. And I collapsed. And she had to help me get up. And within two days, I find out now I have terminal cancer. How do you get here? And within 20 minutes of getting my head around what just had happened and going through what are my grandkids going to go through another funeral, what's going to happen, you know, my dad's going to fall apart, my mum had dementia at that time and so she didn't know what was going on and, and it was a bit overwhelming and I started bawling my eyes out and Sharon looked at me and she goes, are you okay? I said, yeah, I can't describe this peace that I'm feeling. Talk about the peace that passes all understanding. It was so strong that I... We often talk about the presence of God. Did you feel the presence of God? I don't know how I can tell you this this morning, but I knew God was present. I knew his peace. I knew he was present. And a nurse comes in and she goes, what's the aura in this room? Got to witness to her. Got to share eternity with her. She shared her brokenness. And then says to me, can I give you a hug? And I realized not only in troubled times and times of confusion and in times of even some natural fear, God's peace can be real. He can be present. But I had no idea that God's purpose would never leave me. That prayer that my father prayed when he dedicated me, still real in the midst of all loss and pain. And I started ministering to people in the hospital Nurses, one of my surgeons comes in, Dr. Etowati, Jimmy Etowati, robotic surgeon, comes and sits down in my room. He goes, Danny, did God talk to you about your son dying? You, did, did, did you get prepared for that? Did God show you? My surgeon starts talking to me in my room. He gets quite, you know, wow, I'm, 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 I'm blown away. And he says, I'm about to fly home to be with my mum because my dad just died. I don't know what to say to her. Can you help me? The next day, on the way to the airport, he stopped in again and came in and talked to me. He's the doctor that when, I, when he first told me that I had possibly cancer of the bowel, I said to him, Doctor, after the operation, will I be able to play the piano? And he goes, what? I said, you're not playing your piano with your tummy. I mean, you know... I said, no, 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 please answer me. Will I be able to play the piano after the operation? He goes, of course you will. I said, that's good because I couldn't play it before. <laughs> and he burst out laughing. He goes, how can you laugh at this time? 
And you know, there's something that comes when you need it from God that's hard to explain. I got out of hospital and pastors were coming to visit me at home and I literally could not walk to the bathroom. My wife would have to help me get to the bathroom. And now they say to me, we thought that was the last time we were going to see you alive. I ended up getting a viral infection called a CMV virus. And what happened was I went blind, half blind in one eye. And they started putting needles in my eye. Don't, don't, don't go funny on me now this morning. But one day they forgot to give me the anesthetic and went in without the anesthetic and I levitated and it wasn't the Holy Spirit <laughs> off the bed. And then I didn't know. They didn't tell me your eyes going to go with all black dots and stuff flying around everywhere. And I thought that was going to be the rest of my life. And I'm walking around and my, one part of me is going, what's going on? Oh God, what's going on? And there's another part of me. I can live with contrast. Because all through the Bible... God only used people that knew how to serve in every season and can live with contrast. When God called me to start Edge Church, he gives me Revelation chapter 3. I've opened a door before you that no man can shut. Why? Because they persevered. They were persecuted. They paid the price. And I realized when Paul said, there's a great and open wide door before me, but there are many adversaries. We think because things go wrong, How many times does Moses do the will of God and go to Pharaoh and it gets worse and the Israelites are punished even more? But let me tell you, we don't have a Christianity that's only for better. It's a Christianity that's in every season because I didn't come to Jesus because he does stuff for me. I came to Jesus because he's the truth. And how do you walk away from the truth? The one who died for me and gave me eternal life. The Sunday before my son passed away, they didn't have a service at Victory Church where he was a youth pastor. So he drives me to Edge that day. I had to preach at the three o'clock service. And he drives me to Edge. And as we're driving down Finden Road and Grange Road, sorry, Finden in Adelaide, he's driving my car because I've got a really bad headache. And he goes, Dad, I need to tell you I love you. I just want to tell you, Dad, that, you know, we're good. We'd had some challenges in our relationship along the way. And he goes, we're good, Dad. I really love you. And I said, you know, Chris, you're about to turn 40. I'm about to turn 60. I said, why don't we go to uh, America and and do a holiday together, just you and me, and do Route 66 because we both love cars. And he goes, you know, Dad, that would be great, but I don't need that. He said, I'm just happy that we got each other. And he goes, but whatever. you know." I said, what does your future hold? He said, I don't get clarity about my future, Dad, but I know God's got it. And I know God's got it. Not to know that was the last conversation I would have with my son while he was alive. And three days later, he died. Or four, four days later, it was on the Friday. And you go through all these emotions and, and, and all these contrasts. And, but I want to say to you today that in all my health, my son's loss, and everything we've been through, God's peace has been real. His presence has been real. His purpose has been real and his power has carried me. I remember not being able to read my Bible because I was so emotional and crying and just crying all the time and just thinking, God, I can't handle this. I, I'd pull the sheets over my head and go, I don't want to live. Why, you know, why couldn't have I died and he lived? And, and then I lay there and I'd get a thought like, you know, He was alive a lot longer. I was alive with him. He was alive with me a lot longer than I'll I'll ever be without him. 39 years on this earth and it seemed like the day before he was born, gone like that. And I go, wow. 
And I remember getting on my knees and surrendering my life to God. And I'm going, God, I don't know what to do. And while I was sitting there, and I'm actually writing a book about this called Singing in the Pain. And as I'm sitting there, the Lord gives me four words. Sit, stand, sing, serve. He says, it's okay to sit in our grief. It's okay to sit in our pain. And by the way, I didn't mention it in the first service, but Pastor Rob's mum went to be with the Lord this week. And our love goes out to you and the family. She was a godly woman. And we honour her today, Lord. And so, you know, it's just great you're here today. And the family, it's been affecting the family. Uh, obviously, she was a loved nonna. But I was there and I'm, the Lord's going, sit, stand, sit, stand, sing, serve. He goes, there's a time when you sit in your pain and you can't work it out and it's okay not to have answers. God allows for our humanity. He really does. We sit in our humanity and we feel the pain and the tears are okay. But then I realized I had to go a step further. I needed to stand. I had to have something to stand on. And I didn't stand on the latest sermon. I didn't stand on the latest YouTube clip. I didn't stand on what somebody else has said. Because I remember God speaking to my life as a young man. And remember when Peter is uh, saying to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And everybody had an opinion. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? And listen to me very carefully, because this is not a play with words. I realized many years ago that once Peter had a revelation of the deity of Jesus. He found his destiny. There was clarity. He found his destiny. He lived in victory and he found his identity. The reason why our nation's going down the toilet and we've got the highest suicide rate in the world is if you don't know where you came from and you don't know your deity, you're never going to have an identity. Our identity is not found in our sexuality. Our identity is found in knowing deity. And when we know deity, we will find our identity. Then he will show us our destiny and then we will be able to live in victory. Read it in Matthew 16. Hey, Pete. Flesh and blood didn't tell you who I am. My Father in heaven revealed it to you. Now I'm going to show you who you are. Soon as Peter found out who God was, who Jesus was, Jesus says to Peter, now I'll show you who you are. I thank God today that my identity is not found in religion. My identity is not found because my father prayed for me when I was a kid. I had at the age of 11 my own encounter with Jesus and I've had many more over the years. And because I know he's my deity, I have an identity. And because I have my identity, I have destiny and I have authority and I have victory. All the words Jesus spoke to Peter. And I'm going, oh God, that doesn't change when your son dies. But the pain is there. So I sat in my pain. I still do it seven years ago today. And I'm wrecked. Probably after this meeting, I'll have another good cry. But that's part of sitting in your pain. But then you stand. And what you do know about God. I remember saying to God, God, please give me something because I can't read your word. What had happened is um, Matt Stevenson, one of the pastors at Edge, knocked on my door one day and he didn't know I wasn't reading my Bible at the time. I was too afraid to open a verse where God's my protector. And I go, how do I answer that? And he knocks on my door and he gives me a book by a name called, a man called Nicholas Walterstorff. Nicholas is one of the world's top theologians and nobody can understand his writing except this one book called Lament for a Son. 
His son died at the age of 25, got killed in a mountain climbing accident. And he wrote this book called Lament for a Son. And he knocks on my door, Matt Stevenson, and goes, the Holy Spirit told me to bring you this book. And I read that book every day. And every day I felt every emotion that man felt when his son died. He talked about seeing the dead body for the first time. He talked about every, you know, uh, he won't come home anymore. You know, he won't come home anymore. It, 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 nothing will be the same again. And I remember when all the kids came over without dad for the first Christmas and all these experiences. It's like this guy lived in my head. But that wasn't enough. I had to get to a point where I had to stand on what I knew about God. And I said, God, Christmas 39, I'm going to go to Psalm 39. Can you just give me a word of encouragement? And in Psalm 39, verse 4, it says, Lord, show me how short my life on earth will be. I'm just a breath to you. For all of us, we're just a breath. We go through life and we do the things we do and then we're just a breath and we're in eternity. And I got on my knees again and I said, God, I surrender. I, I don't fully understand, but I surrender. Thank you for your word. My reading the next day was Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says mysteries belong to the Lord. They're not for us to work out. And I'm going, okay, God. So I'm going to stand on what I do know about God. I am leading more people to Jesus Christ post my son's death than I ever did before. And what I do is I share the four things or the five things that are not negotiable in my life. Is Jesus who he said he was? Did he really rise from the dead? Did I really get a call from God? And there's a few, about five things that I'll die for because they're not negotiable. Preferences are negotiable. Churchians prefer things. Christians are convicted about things. And I'm convicted about these things and I can't change them. So one of my friends, Steve Labella, who's got cancer, and he's sitting with me. We had a high school reunion. I'm nearly finished. We had a high school reunion. And we're sitting there. And he goes, how can you still believe in God? And I went to Psalm 34 and I read it to him. I said, I don't have all the answers, Steve. There's so many mysteries we'll never understand. But can I give you the answers that I've got? And as I shared it with him, he goes, there's got to be a God to give you that. The world doesn't want a God that fixes everything because they know that's not real. They want a God that's real in everything, the good and the bad. And I'm leading people to Christ that are losing loved ones. Sit, stand, sing, serve. If the musicians can come, please. Sing is your posture of faith. You know, it says rejoice in the Lord always. The language of heaven out of Philippians 4. The Lord said to me, you need to change that word and call it rechoice every day I can't just rejoice every day I have to rechoice every day every day I get up and I choose to live a life of praise it's not a feeling I don't jump out of bed and go whippee feels good today no I rechoice because it has to be made over and over again there are days where it gets so dark and I have to rechoice rechoice to follow God and the last one is serve I'm not going to waste my pain. I'm not going to bleed with my pain. Now I'm working with secular companies as well as the church. A prophecy God gave me when I started Edge that one day we would be in the community. And today I'm pastoring community, not just the church. And I am so grateful because it changes the way you preach. When you're pastoring the community, you don't come up with super spiro language. You come up with a language that people understand that God loves them and he's not put off by their brokenness. And so in closing today, I'm going to have a three-point closure very quick. It's the sermon I was going to preach, but I'm going to close with this. I hate saying Happy New Year. A couple of weeks ago, it was Happy New Year. What's happy? 
I've changed that. I say, I want you to have a blessed new year. Because blessed doesn't get affected by circumstances. Happy. Do you know how many marriages I'm counselling right now in the church where the wives are leaving in mid-30s and early 40s because they're not happy anymore? I looked up the dictionary, happy, very shallow. I looked up the dictionary, blessed. That means to be sacred and consecrated in the dictionary. And I want to tell your friends today, you've made a choice. We need to choose to have a blessed new year by allowing the Word of God to be our roadmap in every situation. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, The guy that heard the Word and did nothing was like the guy that built his house on the sand. And the Lord said to me, We've got to get rid of sandcastle Christianity. But we've got to build our house on the rock, which is the guy that heard and obeyed it. It's not in the knowledge. During COVID, the number of people arguing over the end of the day, the end of the world, is the end of the world coming? I'm going, I've got one life to live. I'm going to bring good news in the midst of darkness. If uh, John on the Isle of Patmos that wrote the book of Revelation can say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day in that mess. We as Christians shouldn't be dealing with the mess and talking about, is this the last days? Well, we're all going to have a last day. Let's put on the light where the darkness is. And let's be a people that follow Jesus because His Word is our roadmap. I decided to do life with the right people. Can I give you a prophetic instruction for 2023? And that is use the word as a roadmap, not just as a devotional. Use the Bible as a directional. This is not Woman's Weekly, looking for your lucky psalm for the day. No, use the Bible as a directional, not just a devotional. Choose the right people in your life. There was a guy on a stretcher that was brought to Jesus. I'm going to be real quick, but a guy on a stretcher, thank God he had good friends. He chose people that could carry him when he was broken. Choose the right friends, even in church this year. Don't sit around gossip. Don't sit around criticism and people putting things down. Let's be around people that can carry us when we're broken and they bring us to the feet of Jesus where there's a breakthrough. And then when our life goes off track, which it does, come back and live persistent in the Word. That's the three things I do since I've lost my son and I've tried to do it most of my life, but now it's so real. And I can say to you, have a blessed new year. Blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the feet of the ungodly. Blessed is the man. The sermon Jesus preached on the man. Blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you. My prayer right now is have a blessed 2023. I can't guarantee what's coming your way, but I can guarantee who will be with you in that journey. And you'd rather do it with Jesus than without Him. Father, today, as we come to the end of the service, wow, 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 wow. While every head's bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to hand over in just a moment. If the pastor wants to do anything different, he can. I just want to hand over, but... There's one word in front of my eyes right now, and it's called disappointment. There are people in this room, and the last few years, there's been one disappointment after the other. I know what that feels like. But today, God says, will you make your disappointment my appointment? Will you make an appointment today to say, God, I'd rather do it your way than my way? I want your peace. I want you present in my situation. I want your purpose to be real. You can live for prosperity, it'll break you down. It won't make you happy. Or you can live for provision, it'll make you bored. But if you live for purpose, God will give you what you need to be His prosperity. It's enough to do the will of God. And He will give you provision. But 
there's been disappointment after disappointment. I want to lift that off you today in faith. And if that's you, I'd like you to slip up your hand wherever you are. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. And I want to pray for you today. Just slip it up. I'll see it. And I'll pray for you. There might be people in the first service too if they watch that. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Father, we pray today that our disappointments could be turned into your appointment. That we can make an appointment with you, Lord, to, to live a life that's blessed. Blessed doesn't mean trouble-free, but it does mean you're with us. I thank you, Lord, for your blessing in my family, in my life through the pain because your favours never left. Lord, we redefine favour today as not everything going prospering from an earthly perspective. We know that Solomon saw everything under the sun and it didn't work, but Lord, we want to see above the sun this morning and realise that above the sun, Lord, favour is you being with us no matter what. Today, I pray your favour over this church, over the leadership. I pray for 23 to be a year of peace, a year of you being present, a year of your purpose flowing through this house and a year of power that empowers all that to happen. May this church this year use your word as its roadmap. May people do life together in a way that honours you. And may we persevere until we see the breakthroughs and miracles, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry I've gone a couple of minutes over time. But bless you. It's been an honour.